0: Amen. As they sing about the name of Jesus, I was reminded of a song that I have shared with each of my kids immediately after their birth. Um, One of the first things that I have been able to do is to hold my children and to sing, Jesus, Jesus, there's something about that name. and. What a beautiful truth there is within that it is the name of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone that can redeem those who are lost and those who are broken. And today we celebrate that. We know that uh, there will come a day where what we see in this life, we will see it completely in full and we will understand that uh, this, is, this pales in comparison to what God has to offer to us. So there's something about the name of Jesus Christ and we ought to celebrate it. I want to read the passage that I had Jerry read earlier one more time with you, and it's a beautiful passage. I can't think of a better time to read it. Uh, It says in Matthew 7, verse 24 through 27, "...therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall." Because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. After the week that we have experienced as much rain as we have received, I cannot think of a better passage of scripture to start with today. Other than back in Genesis, where it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, and Noah had to have a boat, and I assume nobody took their boat to church this morning. I actually do love the rain, so don't take this as a complaint, but I just would love to see the sun every once in a while, too. It was so nice this morning, I actually had to ask my kids what that big ball in the sky was, and it turned out to be the sun. Well, today is the last sermon in this current series on the DNA of the church. These are all foundational principles that must be in place if we are to build strong families. Remember that you may develop uh, strong leaders, intelligent students, or wealthy and successful adults. But if you do not develop responsible, God-fearing disciples of Jesus Christ, then as a family you have not accomplished the greatest responsibility you have. Unfortunately, this is not common in our culture or even across the church today. In fact, the church appears to be falling apart at the seams. This past week, I read about the continuing sexual abuse scandal that has existed within the Catholic Church. I thought this happened more than a decade ago. Well, apparently, it continues. Then I heard of several Baptist ministers in the South, who had committed sexual immorality with children and somehow justified in their minds that what they did was okay. A well known pastor and leader in the Christian world, James McDonald, was fired for inappropriate behavior, specifically things that he said and things he was doing financially. And today, the United Methodist Church is holding its special, specially called conference. To address whether to allow gay marriage ceremonies and whether practicing homosexuals should be allowed to serve as pastors or bishops. I'm telling you that as we speak, that God's church appears to be crumbling around us. And outside the church isn't any better. Planned Parenthood and other pro-abortion organizations have unfortunately been able to progress their agenda in recent days, expanding what is permitted by law in at least three states and it seems to be spreading. In Virginia and New York, laws were recently passed allowing abortions to be be performed right up until the day that a baby is due, while Illinois recently struck down their partial birth abortion ban. Add to that that the political and racial unrest that exists is overwhelming. Media divisiveness, brokenness, and violence within the home. And it doesn't take long to realize that it's not just the church that's crumbling, but it is the world around us that is crumbling. Now, I confess this doesn't sound like a very encouraging message this morning. But what is positive is that I know a way that we can make things right. I know a way to make the church strong again, healthy and united, and I know a way to make our nation prosperous and whole again. But in both cases, whether we're talking about the church or our nation, there will be a need for significant change from within. And it's important to note that there are no other alternative routes. We can try other ways, but they simply will not work. I had a friend years ago who would say, it's my way or the highway. Well, in this case, it is God's way or the highway. His way is the only way that will work, that will provide strength and stability and wholeness to our nation and to the body of Christ again. God's way is to get back to what he gave us as a firm foundation many years earlier. We must put Jesus Christ back in his rightful place in our lives and in the church. Now, I want you to notice here, uh, before I get into the text, that I didn't just say we need to put Jesus Christ right back where he's supposed to be in the church, but it needs to begin in us, in the individual. You see, often it's easy for us to look at our nation and realize the problems that exist and say, well, our nation just needs God, and it would be an accurate statement. To look at the church and realize some of the shortcomings that are taking place and say, well, the church needs to get back to God, and that is correct, but know that it doesn't happen because the organization or the nation chose to do it. It must begin with us. We need to get back to allowing God to be in the center of our lives. Matthew 7, verse 24 through 27, it's a familiar passage. I read it to you already. And it addresses the difference between those who have a firm foundation and those who do not. As we look at the passage, I'm going to take it a little bit out of order. I've already read it to you. Jerry read it to you. But as we look at the passage, I'm going to take it a little bit out of order. I want to start in verse 25 and in verse 27. The reason is because they actually kind of start the same way. Both verses begin with a very similar refrain. They start with, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house. The storms do not care who is in their paths. When Hurricane Katrina occurred, there were many godly people who lost everything, as well as many ungodly people who lost everything. This past week, I read there was a 7.5 magnitude earthquake in South America. And certainly there are both godly and ungodly people living in that region. And I wish I could tell you today that because you are a child of God, because you choose wisdom and strength, because you have made a declaration of your faith, that you will never have to worry about storms coming your way. But that is not true. Consider the Apostle Paul. He had made the decision to follow Jesus Christ. He has become one of the greatest missionaries of all time. You would expect that the result would be God's blessing in everything that he did. He shouldn't have to deal with storms, yet he does. Not only is he arrested and imprisoned, but he is hated by many. He never wavers in his faith, continuing to present the good news to the world around him. On more than one occasion, being familiar with the law, Paul would use the law to his advantage. On one occasion, he appeals to Caesar. Now, This would have been somewhat similar to an individual uh, needing to appeal to a higher court, to say the Supreme Court in our culture. The lower court passes judgment, interpreting the facts and the law in one way, and you appeal, hoping for a different result at a higher level. But in Paul's day, an appeal to Caesar basically keeps the lower court from even passing judgment. What Paul was doing was saying that, I don't want these people to determine my guilt. I want to speak to Caesar. Well, the path to Rome was not an easy path. In fact, one part of the journey would require boating on a ship. And they begin with a beautiful day for sailing. Look at what it says in Acts 27, verse 13 to 20. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, They threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Now as the story continues, I'm certain that probably most of you know this already, but all of the sailors, including those who are prisoners, which means Paul, are saved and they make it to shore safely. But they end up losing everything, all their cargo, all their supplies. But what I want you to notice is who is impacted by this storm. Certainly the Roman soldiers who are imprisoned, they have imprisoned Paul, they are impacted by this. It's their supplies, their cargo that is lost. Certainly the sailors are impacted. It is likely that as these Roman soldiers sailed across this sea, that the sailors themselves had agreement with other business owners and they were taking product from one location to another. Well, they just lost all of their profit. They were impacted by this occasion. But not only were the soldiers and sailors impacted, but a godly man named Paul. Just because Paul was a child of God and an evangelist did not exempt him from storms. And in the same way, your salvation does not exempt you from the presence of storms. Bad things will happen to good people. There was a song put out many years ago that was entitled, The Anchor Holds. The chorus says this, The anchor holds, though the ship is battered. The anchor holds, though the sails are torn. I have fallen on my knees as I face the raging seas. The anchor holds in spite of the storm. And within those lyrics, the anchor that is being referenced is Jesus Christ being the one that would be enough to carry us through the storms. It's not saying the storms won't happen, but it's identifying that when those storms do happen, We do have safety in Jesus Christ. Know that as long as you are alive, storms will come your way, but it doesn't mean that you must be defeated by these storms. Though there may be dark days, times of suffering, times where the storm seems beyond what you can handle, and maybe you're like those men on the ship who reach a point where they gave up all hope of being saved. But you can be victorious because the anchor... Holds. Our passage today begins by speaking of those who are wise and therefore strong. The passage says that they hear the words of Jesus and they put them into practice. Now I want you to notice that there is a difference between the wise builder and the foolish builder, but it's minuscule. When you really look at it, there's not a whole lot of difference to it. They both hear the words of Jesus. But one puts it into practice, one obeys, and the other does not. Within this idea, there are a few principles that are important. First, know that God's word is always the answer. And there are multiple reasons why this is true. First, it sets the standard. Jesus Christ spoke, He set a standard. He told us this is what you ought to do, and this is how it ought to be done. It puts us all on common ground. We have equal expectations in the eyes of God. What happens when standards are not uniform, and standards are not necessarily kept? You know, as a part of this series, I've used the image of bridges to drive home several of these points. And I want to do the same thing today. I think that there'll be a video on the screen back here of a bridge in California. This is called the Tacoma Narrows Bridge. On November 7th, 1940, gale force winds arose and miscalculations by the original engineers resulted in compromised integrity. I will confess just for a moment, I am a little bit amazed at how long this bridge would actually dance before that takes place. We get a few drops of rain and we end up with potholes. That bridge danced for almost 20 minutes in length before it finally collapsed. Eventually the bridge would collapse and the engineers would rebuild, but measuring up to more strenuous standards. The standards of our world seem to dance back and forth with the determination of what's right and wrong being determined by the individual that's a very dangerous place to be who decides that it's okay for an individual to steal who justifies when it's okay to kill someone else who determines what sexual acts are okay and who are we to call those who break the law evil if there is no common standard of what is right and what is wrong Then we have no ground to stand on. But Jesus Christ has set the standard already. And not only did he tell us how to live, but he showed us how to live. I told you that God's word is always the answer. The second reason that this is so is because God's word always applies to you and me. You may be going through something today and you look at it and you think, well, this. There's no way God could address that in the scriptures. You are wrong. Hebrews 4.12 declares this. It says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. How is it that God's word written thousands of years before we were even conceived, could somehow connect with our current circumstances. It is because God's Word is active and alive. As God inspired 40 or so authors to record the various books of the Bible, God already knew what you and I would be facing today. He knew what storms would come across our paths. There should be great comfort in that. God is never surprised by what we face, and he's already got the answer for it when it happens. No matter the storms, he is there, and he knows exactly what we need. He knows not only what success looks like, but how we can achieve that success. I know that some of you may disagree with me on some of what I'm going to share, but I would suggest that every aspect of our crumbling world, and even the crumbling church, is caused by one thing. The world in which we live, as well as the church of Jesus Christ as a whole, has walked away from the foundation which we once stood upon. This is no more evident than what we see in the United Methodist Church this week. I mentioned it The Council of Bishops put out a series of plans that the church would vote on. It's called the the way forward was what they were looking for. They could choose the more traditional route, calling homosexuality a sin and abomination as stated in God's word. Or they could choose the most liberal route known as the one church plan, which was actually recommended by the Council of Bishops. And their recommendation, they laid out their reasoning. They talked about love and grace. They talked about public opinion. They talked about culture. They talked about not wanting to force individuals to change. But what they never did was to talk about what God's Word actually said. I could go through an exhaustive list, but it would take a while. So instead, I'll give you just a few verses. First Corinthians 6, 9 and 10 says, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. It's pretty direct. Leviticus 18.22 says, do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable. The audience would have been men who would have been receiving that. Romans 1 26 says, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men And received in themselves the due penalty for their error. And even Jesus addresses this by reminding us in Matthew 19, verse 5 and 6, that in the beginning God created male and female for each other, and that for this reason man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. Look, I have no objection with the call for us to be agents of love and grace. We are specifically called to do that. But the scriptures are also very clear as to whether homosexuality is a sin. But this issue of homosexuality is not what is dividing the church. It happens to be what's on the surface. But this issue of homosexuality is not what is dividing the church. Neither is it this issue of abortion. It's not the pastors who have made poor choices, sexually, financially, inappropriate behaviors. The real issue is that we have wandered away from God's word as our foundation. We may hear it, we may read portions of it, but it no longer dictates how we live our lives. Let's go back to Matthew 7 for a minute. The wise builder and the foolish builder, both of them hear the word of God. Both of them got to hear Jesus speak, but one put it into practice and the other one did not. It is time for that to change, but it must begin here within us. Know that the word of God is still powerful to reach into our lives. I challenge you today in a couple different ways. First of all, I I challenge you to pray for the church. A couple weeks ago, I talked about the unity that in many ways sends a message to the rest of the world that the church is truly of Christ. Let them see that we are one. We need to be praying for the rest of the body of Christ not looking in judgment or arrogance, saying, I can't believe they're doing that kind of thing. Begin to pray that God would send revival among the entire church, not just in our denomination or in our local church, but across the entire church, that we would once again begin to seek the word of God, to know the spirit of God, and to allow the power of God to once again move among his people. We need to pray that God would move in such a way that issues like these will not divide the church because we will be solidly in the camp of what Jesus Christ would say, what his word has already revealed. But I challenge you to do more than just pray for everybody else. I challenge you to examine your own heart this morning. I know that you probably can quote certain scriptures. Some of you may even know more scripture than I do as the pastor. Just because you can quote the Word of God does not mean you are living in obedience to the Word of God. So I challenge you today to examine your heart. Will you be the wise builder or the foolish builder? So you know the Word of God, what are you doing with it? Does it impact the way you live on a daily basis? Does it impact the way you live in your workplace? When you're around other people who sometimes they talk and the things that they say are ungodly, do you simply fall into the same habits and you start saying and doing the same things that they're saying and doing? What about when you're at home? When nobody else is watching except your family. Will they see the man of God that you are on Sunday? Will they see that same man of God on Monday when you're at home? What about on social media? It doesn't count. I mean, if we say it on social media, it it doesn't mean anything, does it? The way we live our lives in whatever venue we are in ought to reflect the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the power of God. So examine where you are. If you want the church to once again be strong and to be truly in line with what God's Word instructs, then we need to get back to individually being the people of God that he called us to be. Allow the word of God to penetrate your lifestyle, your choices, your attitude, everything that comes out of you. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we need your help. As a nation, we are not what we are supposed to be. As a church, the united body of Christ, we are not what we are supposed to be. And I would even venture to say that many of us as individuals are not what we are supposed to be. We come today truly with a heart of repentance We ask for your forgiveness, for we have not allowed your word to truly be our guiding principle. Lord, I pray that you would forgive where we have fallen short, and that you would help us from this moment forward to be able to take the word which you have given and to apply it to our daily lives, that every word we speak, every action we take would reflect the power of God working in our lives. Lord, I do pray for the church and I do pray that you would make us one, but do not make us one if we will continue in sin. I pray that you would make us one body who is passionately pursuing you as our redeemer and our savior and our Lord. I pray that where sin has existed within the church, that you would remove it and that you would make us whole. And that together we would be able to walk forward eagerly awaiting the day that you will return and call us all home. And together we will be able to worship you for all eternity. But I pray that right now you would begin to transform us. Begin with the individual. But I do pray that you would change the entire church. Lord, may we become a reflection of you. Father, some people in here today probably have felt the need to confess. Maybe they recognize they've allowed sin to exist in them and it doesn't belong. So I pray right now that you would forgive in their workplaces, in their homes, and social media, and wherever else they may be. I pray that you would turn them into a beacon of hope to a world that desperately needs it. Allow them to display the Spirit of God. Allow the rest of the world to look and say, whatever it is they have, I want it. Fill them with your Spirit now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I do encourage you to pray for our nation, pray for the church, and I encourage you to pray for one another. Guard your own heart that you not become judgmental of others, but at the same time that you not be okay with sin existing in the life of the church. It should not happen. Allow God's word to be your foundation. I do thank everyone for being here with us this morning. Thank you for just the spirit of uh, really worship that has been since this morning. It's, uh, it's an exciting time. Anytime people are baptized, But to know that we as the body of Christ, together we do have one thing in common, and it is Jesus Christ. We have a reason to come together and celebrate. I've enjoyed this morning. I hope you have as well. Come back next week. We'd love to have you. Thank you, and go in peace.